Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism, but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. Perhaps you've found that the presence of autism in your life has expanded your mind in ways you never thought possible. Before I was a parent, I thought I knew how it worked. Fast forward just five years, and I'm now parenting in a way that I never thought I would. And my son has taught me a few tricks along the way. On today's episode, I'm speaking with fellow autism mom, Alicia Rasmussen, on a few of the traditions she's established on her non-traditional journey. Her journey with autism began in 2006 when her four-year-old son was first diagnosed. He's now a thriving teenager and accomplished musician who's currently studying Japanese, Korean, and French simultaneously, in addition to learning Danish. He's traveled the world as an exchange student and is planning on attending college to study music or to further his language studies. Alicia, why don't you share with us a little bit about your son. My son is 16 years old now. Um, when he was four, I finally was able to convince doctors and school systems that he needed to be tested for autism. He was nonverbal and had significant developmental delays and um, sensory issues, very severe sensory issues. Uh, it was something that our family had struggled with trying to figure out what was happening. My older daughter was speaking at nine months. And when I talked to the doctors, they said, boys are different than girls. It's you know, just the difference between the two of them. Um, but I really felt like he was not making progress in many ways. And we were kind of trapped in Groundhog Day. Every day was the same, but it was sometimes very awful. So finally got him in a tested and um, in a very intensive pre-kindergarten program down in Florida through public school system where he very quickly started to speak, which was wonderful, and then moved him eventually by the time he was in kindergarten into an integrated classroom, which was a joy and also a nightmare for, for a lot of people. Um, there was a lot of times I had to interfere and come in and, and talk to the teachers and to the classroom. Actually, I made a presentation to the classroom, I think when he was in second grade and just said, you know, you kids are going to meet more kids like my son and don't be afraid and, and reach out and try and help him. And so that's kind of, I've, at, different schools that he's gone to have done the same thing and it's been very, very helpful. But um, yeah, so now he's in high school, he's fully integrated and he's doing very, very well, but it was because of these intensive therapies that we did when he was so young. Now, what are the intensive therapies? Did you guys go the ABA therapy route, speech therapy, OT? We had um, a significant amount of speech therapy. OT was important because he had no grip strength mm -hmm. in his hands. Um, he could not hold a pencil. And it was strange because when he was really little, he would hold a pencil in each hand and he would draw, like, for instance, he would draw a house and draw both sides of the house at the same time. 
I've never ever wow. seen anybody do that. It was like he was drawing mirror images and it and it became the whole the whole thing. So he started with houses, he started drawing castles. Um he was obsessed with houses and chandeliers and then um it, fans and he would draw them and that eventually went away, but the interesting thing is that because he was using both sides of his brain to draw, I realized that he was probably quite ambidextrous. And so when he started showing interest in music, very young, um, one of the things that I thought about was drums, because if he can draw two things at the same time with both hands, it's very possible that drumming would feed both sides of, you know, the neurons of his brain. And that's what he, he does now. He's a very accomplished um, drummer, percussionist, went to Juilliard for their summer program, and is actually thinking of doing that as a career, which is very exciting to me. His music is is an amazing extension of who he is. That's incredible. Why don't you share a little bit um, about what you told me? It was fascinating about the music student. I think that um, when I was looking for instructors for my son, there was, you know, there's a traditional older teacher that everybody respects and everyone in the community kind of, you know, goes to them because they're the ones with the clout that people want. But what I did instead was I found university students at our local university and um, they're much more open-minded. They are more willing to experiment. And so my ground rules with every teacher that he's had has been you play music, you don't work music. So let him play. Uh, if he wants to do one thing one day and another thing another day, then let him explore that and just teach him as much as you can within those parameters, especially when he was younger. Now it's, it's not an issue, but the interesting thing is that he is much better cross trained across his, his percussion spectrum basically because they play a bunch of different instruments whereas most teachers kind of focus on one little thing mm -hmm. so he actually has this very broad knowledge and it's because there were no rules and that's been very helpful for him as he gets older especially that's incredible as far as the sensory issues what were those sensory issues i know my son as far as He's very defensive on certain textures, like with food and sounds for him, especially unplanned sounds, like the automatic flushers on the toilets are a nightmare for him. You have to carry notes in your bag to cover up the automatic flusher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what we, I learned. That's a Disney World trick. You you take your post-it notepad with you in your purse. And to this day, I still carry a pad of post-it notes. And I don't know. It's just an old habit. Like, we covered these up. But that's my big tip for people. Oh, that's huge. I've even used Post-it notes. And I know this is terrible. So I apologize to anyone that I've committed this with. But I've had Post-it notes before and have written out of order oh, and put them on the idea. hand dryers yeah. in the bathroom. <laughs> so that. People would think that they were out of order and wouldn't press them to dry their hands. That is I mean, it's it's the desperation, right? Well, and it's funny because the last trip that I took to Disney World, I was it was an adult's trip. I went with my sister and there was a little girl sobbing in the bathroom. She was terrified. And I could hear that the mom and the child were having a struggle. And I knocked on the door and I said, please don't think I'm crazy. 
and I handed her a few posts, like half my stack. And I said, if you just cover this up, you'll be okay. And the woman came out a few minutes later and hugged me. You got to take care of your people, I think. But um, yeah, absolutely. His sensory issues were very much texture. Um, We, you know, all the cute little clothes that people put their cute little kids in. We were sweatpants with no tags, T-shirts, no, you know, back then they didn't have the tagless T-shirts. So I would kind of have to, you know, jimmy things up to be comfortable for him. Um, he liked to dress. It was funny. We, there was a struggle. He, he loved bells. The sound for him is, is his happy thing. He has perfect pitch. We've now found out, but, um, so he loved, he loved bells. So he would dress up in my daughter's princess dresses and run around and he would say, I'm a bell because it was a, you know, a yellow dress and he, and it looked like you were inside of a bell. There were some people who had problems with that, but you know, that's, not a problem for me, but anyway, it was, you know, that kind of thing is funny. I noticed that sensory issues would become a big problem at school, especially when kids don't have the routine that they would have like towards the, the Christmas holiday. And then towards the summer holiday as the sense of order and the quiet goes away and the kids get more ramped up and there's more free time. That's when my son would have significant problems with that. And I don't think he knew how to contain the energy that he was taking off of the other kids, sure. right? So as the other kids get ramped up, he gets ramped up, but he doesn't know yeah. what to do with it. So in his case, he started stuttering and it was very, very difficult for him to get through even simple mm-hmm. sentences. And I'll never forget one time, I think he was in third grade and he came home from school and he was laying on the sofa and he cried and he said, I just can't talk. And he was so upset. And yeah, so you, you, it was one of those things where I didn't know what to do. So the solution that I came up with, which is crazy, is he liked to go to the cemetery. We had gone and visited a family plot with his grandmother and he liked driving through the cemetery and reading the names on the headstones. And because he stuttered, you'd have to drive really, really slowly through the cemetery. But as a reward for good behavior, we live right down the road from a big cemetery. So um, as a reward for good behavior, I'd say, you know, if you're good today, then we can drive through the cemetery real quick on our way home. So he would start reading, you know, Jones, Smith. And then I realized if I started driving faster and faster, he would read faster and faster and stop wow. stuttering. So by the fourth or fifth lap around the cemetery, he would be reading the names just straight off. And he'd be so proud of himself because he had mastered that even just for a little, you know, for a few minutes. So, but it did help him eventually get out of that. I mean, he does not have a stutter now, but, you know, hashtag thanks for speech therapists as well. <laughs> exactly. I just I'm envisioning this whole thing, you know, of you speeding through the cemetery multiple times. I think it's brilliant. Well, and and my daughter still laughs about it. She's like, you're the only person who would have ever thought of doing that. But you have to meet the kids where they're where they are at the time. And I have a, a background in horse training. And one of the things that always made me nuts was that people would buy a horse and they'd try to make the horse do the thing that they wanted to do. And really the best way to, to get a really nice horse is to pick a horse 
and let it do the thing it wants to do like it was its idea. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's on board and everybody's emotionally invested. The problem is you can't pick, you know, your horse, your horse, you can pick your kid. You cannot. So right. I had to back away from who I thought I was and who I wanted him to be mm-hmm. and to meet him at his level and say, okay, what is it that he wants to do? I'm going to change things to let him be the best at what makes him happy. There's a lot of, and maybe even Oprah has said this one time, she said, you know, us, and this was not speaking for people on the spectrum, but just for us as human beings in general, is that so oftentimes we are rooted in this way of trying so hard to excel and put so much effort into the things that we struggle with, like say for the, you know, in school, for instance, if you excel in English, you may not have to put as much time in there, but with math you do because it comes a little bit harder for you. So we spend so much time and effort into the things that really are not our gifts. And I'm not saying that you don't need to try to get an A in math, but I think that that is where the roots start. And so instead of just saying, you know what, my son is really good with music and that is what I'm going to focus on. That should be where we need to put all of our efforts, especially if it makes them happy. Well, and one of the things I've, I've read very early on when faced with all this, because I didn't come from a community, we live in a rural area don't have a lot of support, didn't know any other people who had been on the same journey that I was about to go on. And so I did a lot of reading. And one of the things that Temple Grandin talks about is making your children job ready. And I feel like that was something that that became a priority for me. And, you know, you can learn job skills doing a whole lot of things. Um, the interesting thing was some of the things that would be considered misbehaviors, I I realized might actually be strengths for him. And so for instance, in fifth grade, I didn't know it, but my son was becoming interested in Japanese language. And I got a call from a teacher telling me that I needed to come in for a conference because my son was, was doodling on his paperwork instead of taking notes in class. And the teacher was very upset. He's not paying attention. He's not paying attention. So I met the the teacher and we had this kind of blowout thing. And then I actually looked at my son's papers and I realized that it looks like chicken scratch, but I was pretty sure that it was some sort of foreign Mm -hmm. font, right? Like what is, so I said, Toby, what are you, what are you writing? And he said, well, it's Japanese. I said, what do you mean Japanese? He said, well, I've learned Japanese alphabet and I want to learn Japanese. So the next summer, he came to me again and he said, please, will you get me a tutor? I, I want to learn Japanese. So I found a lady in town and I went to her and I said, I don't know what my son knows, but would you at least talk to him? Maybe we can get him some tutoring. So he said, I've made this book. Will you look at my book? So she looks at his book and she said, how many years did it take you to write this book? And he said, I did it in three months. Wow. So she puts me out of the room, closes the door takes a stack of um, elementary school flashcards 
goes through the entire stack. He reads the entire thing. She says, please, would you wait in the hall to my son brings me in? And she said, I'm going to have to start teaching him like he's a kindergartner in Japan. His wow. he knows so much. And it, how did he do this? And I said, I don't know. He was bored. And he just started watching Japanese like um, kids movies. Yeah. He would, he, you know how you can flip on the different languages. That's what he would do. So that was in fifth grade. So sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, he went every once a week to a Japanese tutor, sometimes with um, adults who were learning Japanese for their companies. Um, and it was very informal. And then in eighth grade, he took a test to see if he could go into a formal um, high school Japanese class. We just happened to have Japanese at our school, which was very lucky. He tested into Japanese three, which blew me away because I didn't think he was Honestly, I thought he was just kind of playing sure. around. Um, and then he asked if he could take the French test, and he tested also into wow. French three. Um, and he had he took a very short, you know, kind of little French class in seventh grade, I think. So he had learned those on his own. Now he's a junior, and he's in AP Japanese. French four is the first French class that he's taken since seventh grade. And then he also takes Korean school on the weekends. And then he speaks Danish with my husband, who's from Denmark. So it's just so easy for him to learn these things. And he does it all on his own as far as his homework. And, you know, he competes a little bit. They have foreign language competitions and he does well. And it's crazy. We were at a sushi restaurant the other night and the lady that owned the restaurant came over and said, I know you. I've heard you give a Korean speech. and you know, you're amazing. You're a rock star. And wow. it blew me away. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. You know, people recognize this. So yeah, from somebody who really couldn't talk and then was stuttering so badly. And then to hear him switch between languages in a heartbeat. I mean, he can switch between each one very quickly and it's phenomenal. That's so great that you found that strength and that you worked hard to to nurture it. Well, and a lot of people thought it was crazy. I thought it was crazy. I did. I there. I used to get mad at him. I'd say, please, you have to do your English. You know, you, you have to do your math. You can't be sitting here studying these other things. It's a waste of time. Um, and then, gosh, last summer, we took him to dinner with a client from Singapore. And started talking about Japanese language. And then this, this client said, well, do you know any Mandarin? And my son started speaking Mandarin with these people. It was crazy. So at this point, my husband and I realized that, you know, this is something that you can monetize as far as, you know, him having a job. I mean, my goodness, the sky's the wow. limit with, with being able to learn that much as far as, you know, teaching, translating, whatever. And so, I'm happy that I did not dismiss him. I'm happy mm -hmm. that I supported him and, you know, helped him find people who would be also supportive of him, which is interesting in the foreign language community. You know, people are so happy that you want to reach out and learn a different culture and do something else. So I feel like that's been a good place to land for him. There are some of the traditional approaches that we all hear from therapists on how to incorporate into our daily lives. You know, at one point, I didn't know if Alex was going to be able to to speak, right, when he was nonverbal. So we were looking on, you know, 
picture boards and doing the first then, you know, with the pictures and timers and things like that. It's always interesting, though, that our children, I think if we stand back and allow them to help guide us, they will. You know, this is what is working for me. And I know Alex has definitely proven that time and time again. I, I think so. And I think that that allowing children to have diverse interests, even though you don't see where the path is going, you know, you pick up so much along the way, mm-hmm. which we all want to be super hyper-focused as adults, but we don't realize sometimes that children, especially children who have special needs, who are in intensive therapies, it is exhausting to go through some of those therapies and they really need an outlet that is theirs that they control. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like even, you know, parents of neurotypical children oftentimes deny their kids that gift as well, which is a little sad to me. Sure. Just allowing them to be kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I want my kids to be bored. I allowed them to be bored. Um, Yep. And was it fun all the time to have kids that, you know, but I'd say, go find something to do or I'll give you something to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Do and and out of that boredom and out of that freedom came things that I never, ever would have expected my child to do or a journey that I never would have expected to be on. Absolutely not. I mean, it's that's the crazy thing is to let go of that, the plan that I have. And let their plan take over and then just eventually be able to to stand back, you know, and I'm still there for support. I mean, we obviously still need supports in, in uh, executive function and that sort of thing. But for most of it, it is something where he comes up with opportunities and he comes up with plans. And then I say, how can I help you support you reinforce what you're doing? It's so interesting that we both have, I know for your son, he gravitated towards the videos that were in Japanese. And mm-hmm. for Alex, one thing that he's absolutely fascinated with are animals, animals and bugs, fish, it doesn't matter. Anything that's living and breathing that is not human, <laughs> he absolutely loves. And, you know, one of the most common questions that pediatricians ask and my gosh, even family members, friends or whatever is how much screen time, you know, do you allow your child to have? And I do understand and we there's there are definite limits um, under our roof as far as how much screen time Alex has. However, the videos for him, especially early on when he was developing those language skills, were absolutely incredible for stimulating that that language and he was watching little videos of children interacting with each other and interacting with their parents and so that was great and i remember my favorite movie of all time to this day is toy story and my son that was the first moment that i truly connected with my son. And it was during a scene where Buzz Lightyear and Woody were trapped underneath 
this semi truck at a gas station and Buzz Lightyear had a little bug, a little fly on his mask and Woody walked over and wiped it off his mask. And my son started interacting, started acting like Buzz Lightyear in that scene with me being Woody. And I um I nearly just fell to the floor and started melting because he was interacting with me. He was playing with me. And in that moment, I'm like, you know what, kid? All right, we're going to fight super hard for this. Um, and still to this day, it's one of those videos is one of our favorite ways to interact with each other because he likes to act out scenes with it. Well, and that's yeah. something that we realized very quickly early on was that he was not just watching the videos of, of whatever it was, you know, whatever thing he was, he wasn't just watching it. He was living it. He mm-hmm. was role playing in that. And, um, I don't think that a lot of adults understand that mm-hmm. component, but he was modeling behavior just like your son. Um, and, the the cartoons that he liked or the movies that he liked, they were usually relationship type, you know, like a buddy movie, which is obviously what Toy Story is as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it was modeling those behaviors. And then he would he would, you know, repeat verbatim the lines. Mm-hmm. And so one of the earliest interactions, same thing, was that he would pick a, a scene from a movie that he really liked. And we would do that back and forth, the dialogue back and forth. And it was teaching him the proper way to converse because yes. he, he didn't know that. So I agree with you about quote unquote screen time. It, it's not a passive activity for some children with autism. It is an active, engaged thing. And, and it was interesting because I told that to his therapist when he was in um, first, second and third grade. We had a great team at his elementary school mm-hmm. and they decided to start doing role playing with him. Yeah. which was fantastic. So he was getting bullied a little bit. So they would um, they would get older kids and they would recruit them and kind of give them a script and then coach him how to respond in a conversation or, you know, dealing with somebody else. And I'll never forget, there one of his teachers called me and they said there was a kid who was actively bullying him. And they said, your son looked at looked at the boy, looked at the teacher and said, you guys are trying to set me up again. This is just play. He said, you're just playing. I'm not going to listen to you and walked away. And she said, I'm so proud of him. I said, he probably thought that, that he, you know, you guys were setting him up and he was wrong, but anyway, it's a great, that's an interactive therapy that I think that because you have to model it, you have to model interaction with them. So they learn how to do things normally. And, And it's interesting to me now to realize that my son is a better conversationalist than a lot of his peers because he knows how to look people in the eye. He knows how to wait and listen mm-hmm. for a response. You know, it's been drilled into him how to behave in a, in a positive way. And frankly, his manners are better than a lot of other, sure. a lot of other people. So, you know, maybe all kids need that. Honestly, they probably all need some modeling on, you know, how to be participatory instead of one-sided because the perseveration issue is, you know, it's always going to be there. So it's, it's a good thing to learn. And, you know, other people perseverate, we just don't talk about it. Right. I mean, there are people who are really into what they're into 
and we just excuse it. And then in walks a kid who's labeled autistic and suddenly they're crazy for talking about something that they really love. Sure. Absolutely. Kind of going back to the video, though, I want to mention something that absolutely just floored me. You know, when you have those insights into kind of what in the world is my child like learning like he like the Japanese with your son I know for me Alex you know loves to watch the animal videos and he's learning so much from them and Mm -hmm. there was one night we were reading a book before bed and we were going through all of the different kind of sea creatures and stuff it was this really it was an encyclopedia literally of the ocean and he pointed to a picture And I thought it was some type of stingray. And he said, no, mommy, that's a tasseled wabagong. And I'm like, it's a what? It's a tasseled wabagong. And I look and in fine print underneath the caption, it says tasseled wabagong. And I'm like, how in the world? He was three years old. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what it's interesting because, um, my son discovered there's a, a university website with world music instruments and they have video clips and sound clips of each instrument. And he went from not being able to read in second grade to winning the school reading award in third grade because he made me buy him. It was like a middle school book about um, musical instruments and it had a little CD-ROM thing that mm-hmm. came with it. And he could read that entire, it was like an eighth grade level book. He could read the entire thing to his teachers. And um, the crazy thing is that to this day, when he listens to any kind of music, he can pick out what instrument is playing, even if it's some kind of like crazy thing from, Mm -hmm. you know, Tibet or something. It's like something I'm like, what even is that? I have no idea. Well, no, no, no. It's this. And it's this variety of this instrument. And they have that that ability to pick out just finite knowledge that most people just go mm-hmm. right over and and they do that. And so if your child can do that and has that ability to pick those little things, then, you know, give them as much of that detail as you want because they'll store it forever. And, you know, plenty of people who work in biology fields would love to have sure. that type of memory. And that kind of attention to detail. I mean, those are the people who become, you know, researchers, scientists, make new discoveries of things. Um, and the world needs more Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. I I'm just I can't wait. I'm I'm so excited. I don't want my child to grow up. Obviously, I want to say I want him to stay in a five year old little snuggle body for the rest of his life. But I'm so excited just to see what he's going to be able to accomplish in his lifetime. It's truly fascinating. And I'm excited to continue on your journey with your son and just kind of see how he grows and develops. And he already sounds like such a fine, fine young man with so much potential. And I just, Alicia, it's been so great to speak with you and hear your story and hear about your awesome son. And just thanks so much for being a part of my autism tribe. Thank you so much. And good luck with you and your journey. It sounds like it's a lot of fun too with all the, all the little creatures and bugs and things. That's exciting. You're a lucky mom. In summary, traditional or non-traditional, 
Everyone deserves to have their gifts developed and nurtured in a way that leads to personal fulfillment and positive outcomes. Some of the more traditional tips that people may incorporate into their daily lives may include first slash then. So depending on the needs and the skill set of your child, you can do this verbally or with pictures, such as first we clean up, then we can play. Timers are great. Your child may need a five minute or even a one minute warning before there's a transition to a new activity. And this kind of helps the child feel more in control without controlling the parent. Reward positive behavior. It's really important to recognize behaviors that a child usually struggles with, like sharing, following directions, being quiet. And with the positive affirmation, you can let the children know their behaviors were noticed. And one of my favorites is focus on positive speak. So instead of telling your child what you don't want them to do, tell them what you do want them to do. And lead by example. They're looking at you to set the example for behavior. So even if you don't feel calm, try to make sure that your behavior represents calm in the sometimes difficult situations. 